Good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good Tuesday. That's what we're doing today. It's Tuesday. And hope you had a good week of football, your fantasy teams, your bets, if you're into that sort of thing. Hope you did better in your survivor pool pick than I did. Freaking Chargers. Not going to get into it. Not going to whine. But, man, come on, Eckler. Catch that hook and ladder. You walk in. I'm still alive. You know, just saying. But, yeah, we got some good stuff going along today. The Bills, obviously, going to be topic number one. I'll get to them in a minute. Do want to point out, if some is good, more is better. That's why this Friday and through football season, we will be doing two Falcon Arounds per week. That's right. An extra Falcon Around. little football preview, little week recap. And with everything that's going on right now in sports, going to be fun. Today, four Major League Baseball playoff games go on. Tomorrow, eight Major League Baseball games and the NBA Finals get going. So, lots to talk about. Let's start, though, with the 3-0 Buffalo Bills on their way to their first Super Bowl since the early 90s, right? That's what Bills Mafia is thinking. Well, let's just slow down. I'm, I'm, look, I'm not going to be the buzzkill. I'm not going to be the guy who's saying they can't, they won't, they aren't. We just got to take a breath here. Sunday against the Rams was a great game for many reasons. First off, going into this year, what did we talk about time after time after time with the Bills? Biggest question mark, Josh Allen. Through three games, and three games is not a season make, Josh Allen is second in the league in touchdown passes to Russell Wilson, second in yards to Dak Prescott, and second to Wilson again in quarterback rating. Those are three fairly significant categories. And if I had told you that Josh Allen, through three games, was going to be over 1,000 yards, have 10 TDs, one, put an asterisk next to it, interception, you'd have been ecstatic. And, And you should be ecstatic because this was the year. We talked about this as well, that year three quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Allen, Rosen, who's pretty much played himself out of the league, although he's a backup in Tampa. And, of course, Lamar Jackson. Jackson won the MVP last year. Allen needed to take a big step forward. Darnold is in a quagmire that is the New York Jets, I think, after this year. He gets traded off. They go with Trevor Lawrence, and Darnold gets a reboot somewhere and may be able to find a career. Baker Mayfield isn't playing like number one, but he's playing – okay. He's just not a guy that you're going to carry. But after this year, teams have a decision to make about the pay of their quarterback. Do they extend them? Do they guarantee their fifth year option, which is a significant paycheck? Or do they decline that fifth year option? The player becomes a free agent after year four. If you look at them, Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, either extension or fifth year option, no other way. Allen has played his way into fifth-year option or extension no other way. Baker Mayfield most likely will get a fifth-year extension, a fifth-year guaranteed. He won't get an extension. He's just not playing well enough. Rosen, I mentioned. Darnold, I can't see them extending him at this point. I, I really can't. What has he done to show that he may be a quarterback of the future. I I see nothing from the kid. He's in a terrible situation. But at the same time, you've got to do better than three picks and two 
pick sixes against Indy. But Josh Allen has gone from the guy draft night, the people were mocking, his mechanics were terrible, he's this, he's that, to a guy who's a leader of this football team and a guy who's able to bring a team back. And I think that's important, especially when we get to the Lamar Jackson, Patrick Bohm's talk from last night, how important it is to have a guy that you can believe in who makes plays. Look, Allen again Sunday, over 300 yards. He's been, there's over 1,000 yards in three games. I never would have thought that. He's on a pace, and obviously this is one of those stupid things. He's on a pace for close to 5,000 yards. If you had said to me before the year that Josh Allen's going to throw for 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns, I'd have laughed at you. I just didn't see this coming. And I'm a guy who always supported Josh Allen. I loved what I saw the kid out of training camp, even as a raw rookie. You could see the athleticism. You could see the ability to deliver the football in ways that most mortals can't do. And you could see his energy of his person, the, the ability to connect with teammates. Second year for, to first year, his ability to understand the playbook and not needing to be tutored after every play. It was more a conversation between adults when he and Dable would talk. So year two. So you knew he had studied and done his homework. And all of those things, the work he's done with Jordan Palmer in the offseason, Dable and Allen connection, even the conversations with Tony Romo about how to improve and how to better yourself as a quarterback. All of these things show Josh Allen has a strive for greatness inside of him. So you take a kid with great physical talent, which he had draft night, and people who disliked the pick even said he had great physical talent. But you put all of those things together, a willingness to work, a desire to be great, great physical talent, and all of a sudden you've got a guy who three games in is the second leading candidate, in my opinion, for the National Football League MVP. Now, again, we're not even a quarter of the way through the season yet. And you look at the schedule, it's going to get tough. But through three games, the fact that Allen has answered the biggest question so resoundly is giving this Bills team legitimate hopes for a deep playoff run. Now, the AFC is loaded, and the AFC East is better maybe than it's been in the past. Not the Jets. They don't count. They're a minor league team. Sorry, Jets fans. The, the Dolphins are very good. They're going to get better. The Patriots are very good with Cam Newton. Belichick has that great defense again and now a different way to play offense. You look at the Bills' schedule at 3-0. and They go on the road the next two weeks to the Raiders, very improved team, with Josh Jacobs running the ball, cars found ability to pass. They've had injuries at the wideout position, but Hunter Renfro comes up big last week. That's going to be a tough game. Then you go to Tennessee, and while we're talking about running the football, of course, Derrick Henry is a beast, and that's going to be a tough go as well. And then on a short week at home to Kansas City. Now, I point out those three games in the running game because on Sunday against the Rams, some of what was lost in that victory and that euphoria was quite simply – 
the fact that the Bills' defense was was trash. I use Jalen Ramsey's word. It was terrible. Daryl Henderson, over 100 yards, carving them up. Look, I get it. You're scared of Jared Goff. You're scared of all the different things that the receivers, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, it all, can, they, what they do. But you can't get gashed on the ground that way and expect to win big games in this league. And for the next three weeks, Bills are going to be severely challenged to stop the run. And as much as I'm raving about Josh Allen, I can't expect him to carry this team three weeks in a row to victories. He needs help from the defense. Allen's been great. There's going to be a week he's not great. It's just the way it works. What team is going to be able to stop him or slow him? And then does the defense get healthy? And I say it that way, both figuratively and literally, enough to hold up their end of the bargain. They didn't against the Rams. The other team against the Rams that didn't hold up their end of the bargain was the referees. And I want you to look at Josh Allen's one interception of the year. I'm going to show this clip. Now, it's a bad decision. The Bills are up big at this time, 28 to 10, as you see. About four minutes left in the third. Here's bad Josh throwing it up. Tyler Croft pushes off, goes up, and gets it. Now, look at this here. He has possession of it. Johnny Johnson comes in, simultaneous possession. By rule, the play goes to the offense. Tyler Croft had the ball solo first. Johnson and Croft simultaneous possession. Again, by rule, that is a catch, but the push-off is going to be penalized. Somehow, and, and I just don't understand how, on the field, that is ruled an interception. When did Johnny Johnson have solo possession? If it's simultaneous, again, by rule, it goes to the offense. When did Johnny Johnson have solo possession that then became simultaneous? Not once did I see that. That's Josh Allen's one interception. It was a key play in the game because now all of a sudden the Rams had just scored. They get the ball back there in good field position, go right down, Robert Woods scores again. They get two touchdowns in about two and a half minutes, and all of a sudden it's a 28-17 game. Crazy how the momentum swung because of that play. But referees don't make or break teams in games. They make bad calls. They make good calls. At the end of the game, fourth down, Bills need nine for a first down. Look at this play and look at this call as pass interference against Gabriel Davis, who, by the way, has been spectacular. Right there is illegal contact. Davis turns in, the ball goes flying by. I think it's important to note, too, that as Gabriel turns in there, without contact, that's a touchdown. I think that ball's on target without contact. I do believe it's illegal contact. I am surprised it was called at that point. The Rams are bitching and whining about it, but let's face it. Opening night for the Rams, they get a gift push-off on Michael Gallup of the Cowboys that prevented them from losing that game. So you couple into the fact that they get a bogus interception, they get a gift there, they got a gift opening night, and now we're looking at a fourth and nine, and the Rams are whining about that call. Look, the officials did their job poorly. Let's be honest. They didn't cheat anybody because they cheated everybody, if you want to go that way. 
it's just a series of bad calls. And it's disappointing to me that the NFL, and I'm glad they don't have pass interference and replay anymore, but the NFL upheld that interception on review. Look, as a guy who officiated for a long time, high school basketball for years, there isn't a place in a rule book that says logic wins out. However, every good official knows that logic wins out. No matter what, go to logic and and make your call based on the rules and based on the logic of the situation. That interception, logic of the situation says it's not an interception. The, The defensive player, Johnson, never had solo possession. You have a push off from Croft anyway. Go with the logic. Overturn that call. Give it back to the Bills. Penalize them for offensive pass interference and move on. Very disappointing, again, that the replay center doesn't get it back. So the Bills now come up with a big day in a lot of ways. Cole Beasley had a great day. John Brown suffered an injury. Gabriel Davis, I mentioned he was a stud. Four catches over 80 yards on four targets. 100% pass completion from Josh Allen to Gabriel Davis. Stephon Diggs was obviously somebody that the Rams had targeted to shut down, and they did a good job of that. He got a touchdown on on Jalen Ramsey that if you watched it, you know Josh Allen had to love that moment because it was a great play. Diggs only was targeted six times. He had four catches, 49 yards, and a touchdown. But Beasley, six for 100. Tyler Croft had two touchdowns, which – the last won the game, uh, very emotional because Bills love this kid. Lee Smith was in for one offensive play. He had a touchdown. And I think very much undersold in this game was the effect of Devin Singletary. Through the first two games, and I talked about it last week, as much as Zach Moss may be a very good player, I don't know what Zach Moss is in the NFL. I do know that Devin Singletary has a chance to be a very good NFL running back based on what I saw last year and what I've seen this year. And when he was given the opportunity Sunday, given the ball, 13 carries, 71 yards, they had four catches for 50 yards, get this kid the ball in space, get out of his way, and let him make plays. It's a huge asset to have a back that you can depend on. And I think when we look around the league at the good teams, there are a lot of teams that have a bell cow running back that are near the top of the league. And I think the Bills have that as well in Devin Singletary. And having Josh or Zach Moss behind him is a huge advantage because if you get tired, you don't have a big drop off. But I really think the carries distribution don't need to be 50 50. They should be much more like 75-25. So a lot of good looking at the offense. The defense, though, I'm going to throw a name out there, the Bills fans, the Bills Mafia. You guys don't like this guy, but he's been missed, and it's it's Star Latulale. Star opted out before the season because of the COVID concerns and all the things that went on with that. But his presence in the middle of the D-line would allow Ed Oliver a lot more freedom. And Oliver has been... Okay, he's made a few plays. He got dinged up a week ago, played Sunday. Look, he's not Aaron Donald. And then again, nobody is. Aaron Donald is the best defensive player in the league right now. But 
the Bills are getting gashed in the middle of that D-line. Harrison Phillips is not there yet coming off of that knee injury. And it, it's just evident that there's work to be done with the interior of the Bills' defensive line because the linebackers this week, Matt Milano had a nice game. Tremaine Edmonds was basically non-existent. I don't know, and I'm hoping it was because of injury, but I don't know it was because of injury. But they need him to be better. They need him to be impactful. He was not good, and he was not impactful. So two things that need to be improved there. The Bills' pass rush was good, but two guys who I expect there to be pass rush from them were not good. Jerry Hughes was invisible. Trent Murphy was invisible. I'm just not sure what's going on with those two guys. They haven't seemed to have made the big play. On the bright side, A.J. Appenenza, who was a healthy scratch week one, got in there and he made some plays on Sunday. So maybe we're starting to see a a different rotation up front with that D-line, but it's got to be better. It's absolutely got to be better. Taron Johnson played a great game. The safeties were, were solid as always. I didn't think Tredavious White had a great game. I thought he got beat a couple times cross on crossing patterns, especially one for a touchdown by Cooper Cup. I just think that the Bills' defense needs to be better. And if you remember last year, Bills' defense started out having some troubles. Sean McDermott took more of an active game day role as far as calling plays and things seem to turn around. I think we're about one week away from doing that. So now with the bills at three and zero, with them having eyes going forward, the question is how good can this team be record wise? You look at the next three weeks at Las Vegas, tough, tough game at Tennessee, very tough game, Ryan Tannehill, is proving that he was worth that contract extension. Plus, their defense is playing pretty good football as well. Then Kansas City at home, and Kansas City is just a different beast. If the Bills somehow win two of the next three, they get to 5-1, and one, I think this team can and will win the AFCs. I think more likely is they win one of the next three, and they end up at 4-2. and two. And if that's the case, that's fine. It's very good. The following week, they're against the Jets in New York. That should be a win as well. Then they have New England at home. Huge, huge game. And part of it, in my opinion, is the fact that the Bills have to knock out the champion. If you're the challenger, you don't beat the champion. You knock their ass out. And that's what the Bills have to do to the Patriots. Even though it's not Brady, even though it's Cam, doesn't matter. Knock them out and get above them. Then Seattle comes to town. Seattle's offense, I'm going to talk about them in a little while, but they're unbelievable. At Arizona, before the bye. This is a brutal stretch. And then after the bye, it's the Chargers at 49ers, the Steelers at Buffalo, at Denver, at New England, before finishing at home at Miami. There are about four games in this schedule that I see wins, that I see, okay, they're good. They got win, win, win. That puts them at only seven wins. They got to get to 10 or 11 wins to win the AFC East. This schedule's no picnic. There are some 
good football teams on there. The other side of that coin, though, is should they get through this schedule, get to those 10 wins, should they continue to play the way they're playing, which is a little bit of a cardiac Bills thing, when it comes to the playoffs, they will have played everybody. They'll play. They'll have played everybody but the Ravens that they'll face in the playoffs. So nothing will surprise them going forward. So very good start for the Bills. A phenomenal start for Josh Allen. It's one of those things that the more you look at it, the more you think this has potential, long-lasting quality beyond this year because that offense is still a work in progress, especially the offensive line. Saw a big change up there this week, and I think when John Feliciano comes back, we're going to see another change. Brian Winters got the start at right guard this week. They moved Cody Ford over to left guard and benched Quentin Spain. So big move up there. I think there's still work to be done up front. I think that Singletary and Moss will both get better. Gabriel Davis is going to get better. I think that wide receiver core – and right now they're playing without Dawson Knox, who is their best tight end. So there's work to be done. There's improvement there. But for Josh, don't read the press clippings. Get back out there, get to work, and expect nothing to be handed to you because this is going to get really interesting. So that's the Bill side of the story. The NFL through week three. Man, I don't know what to think of the Houston Texans. They are 0-3, a team that I personally thought was going to be very good coming into this year. They've been struggling. And Bill O'Brien has traded away a bunch of draft picks to try to get a team that's ready to win now. At 0-3, their next four games, they play the Vikings this week, and the Vikings also 0-3. Loser of that game, season's over. Then they play the Jags. That's a winnable game as well. At Tennessee, and then the, the Packers. If they go 3-1... and and get back to then that record would be three and four, I think the Texans are right back in it. But Bill O'Brien somehow has to turn this around, or there's no chance he survives. And the guy who goes in to replace him, either A, as the general manager, because they don't have one, or B, the head coach, you're, you're screwed. Because although you have a nice roster, you've got no draft picks coming up to continue to fill holes and improve that roster. So the Texans better turn this around, better turn it around quickly, or it is a long-term bad situation for the Texans. The NFC East, now a lifelong Dallas Cowboy fan, always took pride in the fact that the NFC East is a great football division. The Giants are always good. The Washington football team, WTF, they were always tough. You had the Eagles, scrappy team, and, of course, the Cowboys, America's team. This division sucks. The Cowboys have as bad a defense as there is in the league. That defense is terrible. The The secondary hasn't been good in a decade, and it's still not even close to good. Philadelphia is a mess. They played for a tie Sunday against the Bengals. Instead of trying a 59-yard field goal, they'd rather punt and get a tie. Are you kidding me, Doug Peterson? You won a Super Bowl a couple years ago. It's a good thing because you'd probably be out of work right now. The Redskins, or the WTF, the team formerly known as the Redskins, they're interesting because that defense is very good. Unfortunately, Dwayne Haskins has taken a step back through the early part of this year. He's their only hope at quarterback. I don't think they want to go to Alex Smith. I 
love that Alex Smith fought to come back, but I just don't see it. And you look at the Giants. They don't have Saquon Barkley for the rest of this year. They don't have a defense. Next year, I doubt they have the same general manager. I can't see Dave Gettleman surviving this year. Then the question becomes, does Joe Judge survive this year? If you bring in another GM, do you move on from the guy who you just hired as a coach? And that would be, what, four coaches in five years, if that's the case? So this this division is just terrible. Find somebody that can go eight and eight and give them a playoff berth and move on, but don't expect anything. If you're a fan of any one of those teams, you have my sympathies. I'm a fan of the Cowboys. They're they're an impossible team to watch. The Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is balling out. His stats through the first three games, nine touchdowns, no interceptions, almost 900 yards. And this is a run-first offense with Aaron Jones, who's averaging over 100 yards a game and is – has four touchdowns the defense is better Aaron Rodgers is just great and still the best thrower of the football in the entire league and I think what Lafleur is doing up there making it a run first team it's fun to watch and I think Aaron Rodgers has settled into a place where he's having fun as well and I think that's incredibly important I mean you talk about divisions When's the last time we saw a division like the NFC West? Talked a lot about the Rams, a team that they're going to come back on people. They're going to be great. But the 49ers have had significant injuries, yet they win two games in a row in New York before going back out West. They're fantastic. Nick Mullins behind Jimmy G, completing 70% of his passes. Kyler Murray is a work in progress, and Cliff Kingsbury still – implementing that offense and i think the defense has got to come along with it murray's got to stop turning it over five picks in the first three games but they're great offensively they're going to be a problem anybody who plays them can expect that they have to score 30 points to win that game and that's the idea in the desert and then there's seattle undefeated team who's played some good teams early on and russell wilson and i want you to look at this clip, a long throw by Russell Wilson. Nobody in the NFL throws the deep ball better than Russell Wilson. Get a puller and an easy first down. Wilson keeps, surveys, deep ball. Oh, there it is, oh. wide open, touchdown, Lockett. Play action in the backfield. Watch the safety here, Xavier Woods, and he gets flat-footed. And so Lockett comes off the ball. you got to stay deep. You cannot give up the deep post. That's his assignment back there. You've got three defenders. Yeah, I get it. Guy's wide open, and it's a pretty easy throw. And the fact that you're just laying it out there because there is nothing to worry about because of the defense. But this is a guy who had five touchdown passes on Sunday against the Cowboys. He's got 14 touchdown passes for the year. He would have had six if DJ Metcalf decided 
not to hold the ball out at the five-yard line and walk into the end zone where the Cowboy defender was able to slap it out of the back of the end zone for a touchback. Would have been six touchdown passes. Russell Wilson's playing on a level that is just different from everybody else. I don't like Seattle's defense, but I don't care who they're playing against. They're hanging 30 on you. And with Russell Wilson, you've given him weapons with Lockett and Metcalf. They've got a few other young players filling in. Love what I see from this offense. If Chris Carson is healthy and the scumbag cowboy defender who twisted his leg, what a joke that was. If he's able to run the ball, that's a great offensive football team. It's one that can be multifaceted, and I think they ultimately end up winning the best division in football. The AFC North is another very good division, although they took a hit last night. Steelers, they look like the Steelers. Roethlisberger's back. James Conner is healthy. Roethlisberger's playing good. I think he's going to have one of those Ben games soon where it's 450 yards and five touchdowns. Ben has a couple of those a year. I think one's coming. But the difference of this team is their defense. T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree, great edge pass rushers from either side. You throw Minka Fitzpatrick at the back end. They've got talent at all three levels. It's a great Steeler defense going along with an improving offense. The Steelers may be the best team in that division. And I say that because the Ravens last night showed something yet again that appears to be a legitimate weakness. They are now, with Lamar Jackson at the helm, 0-6 when trailing at halftime. Lamar Jackson has never brought his team back from halftime deficit. They're 19-0 with Lamar Jackson when leading there. Now, look, I'm not jumping off the Lamar Jackson bandwagon. Dude is spectacular. But when you have a quarterback who's run-centric and his weakness, if he has one, is throwing the ball down the field, if you have a team that offensively can score points, keep up with them, or jump ahead of them, it forces the Ravens to change their offensive approach a little bit. They can't continue to pound the rock. And, you know, like anything else, it's cause and effect. The better you run the ball as a football team, the more open your wide receivers and tight ends are going to be in the passing game because play action becomes that much more dangerous. Simple philosophy. It's also one that works at all levels of football. From peewee to the pros, if you can run the football, linebackers and safeties are forced to come up and play the run first, which allows wide receivers and tight ends to get behind them or get a step on them, which allows a quarterback an easier throw. That's the Ravens' philosophy to a T. Unfortunately, when that philosophy has to change, Lamar Jackson to this point hasn't shown the ability to put the team on his back and carry that team through the air. He can certainly do so with his legs, but until he learns to through the air, you think of last year in the playoffs with Kansas City, Mahomes is down by two touchdowns one week, three touchdowns another, never blinked, never was a problem. He just came out throwing, brought his team back, improved time after time. Lamar Jackson hasn't done that. 
And until he does now, and it's six times that he hasn't, versus 19 times he didn't have to, it's going to be something that teams are going to try to do. Now, frankly, everyone's going to say, well, yeah, that's great. We know how to beat him. we got to get ahead of him. Easier said than done. The Ravens have an excellent defense. But last night, Patrick Mahomes just shredded that defense. Four touchdowns through the air. Another one on the ground. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a perfect Andy Reid running back and that he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can run between the tackles. He can get him in space. He'll make people miss. That was a great draft pick for that team. And, and the thing I think that's missing when we talk about the Chiefs, and a lot of it's because Patrick Mahomes is simply great and maybe getting better, which is a scary thought for the rest of the league, is how improved that defense is. The defensive line, adding Frank Clark a year ago, Jones is better. This is a team now that puts pressure on with their front four. Their linebackers have run sideline to sideline, make some plays. Never been a big Hitchens fan, but he's playing well in this system. And at the back end, having Tyron Matthew back there is a huge factor. This is just a guy who is a great football player. And I think the more you watch Kansas City, the more you think this is a team, yes, it's Mahomes, yes, it's the offense, it's all those speed guys on the outside. Well, watch that defense and watch how they play and allow that offense to sometimes be reckless. And I think what's reckless to the Chiefs is actually good because the more they put on film, the more teams have to try to stop different aspects. They're so multifaceted, you can't stop everything. Very, very fun to watch, and I love to see how good Mahomes has been. And there's one other team I wanted to talk about, and it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And a lot was said before the season about the Bucs. A lot was said that, you know, this is Tom Brady. Is he going to win before Belichick? All these things. You're watching the team develop now. Brady, six touchdowns. He's got three picks, which for him is a little bit high. And I'm sure that's something that he and Bruce Arians are trying to work on. But what's impressed me is, is the defensive side of the ball. And if you look at the defensive side of the ball, defensive line with JPP is very good. You'd also got Dominican Sue up there. At the linebackers, having Devin White, who was a top pick a couple of years ago. And at the back end, one of this year's second-round picks, and I love this kid in, in college, it's Antoine Winfield Jr. And if you're a Bills fan and you remember back to the glory days, Antoine Winfield was a great corner. He was as good a tackler as it was at the cornerback position. Bills let him walk. I never understood that. He went on to have a great career up in Minnesota. Well, his son played at the University of Minnesota, and I got to watch a few games last year. And Just one of those guys, like similar to Tyron Matthew, always seems to be around the ball, always seems to be making a play. He's already, through three games in his rookie year, got a couple sacks and a couple passes defense. And I, I really think this is a kid who, as time goes on, you're going to see more and more from this kid, and he'll be the stalwart at the back end 
of what is becoming a very good Tampa Bay defense. So the Bucks, they're two and one. You lost that opener, but don't despair. Tommy's got something going down there, and I think there's room for improvement in a very tough division. The Saints, without Michael Thomas, aren't exactly the same team. Their defense has been maybe shredded a little more than I thought it would. Atlanta can't hold a lead. Carolina's in the midst of a rebuild, although they had a nice win last week against the Chargers. Watch for Tampa coming out of the NFC South. I didn't think it would happen. I thought they'd be in the mix, but I'm starting to think they may be the team to beat in that division. So that's the NFL portion of the show, and it's fun to watch all of these games. And if you're like me, starving for football, it's been great. It really has. Hey, we've talked about Instacart for a few weeks now. If you click on the show notes, you're going to get a free opportunity for your first order over $35 with Instacart. And they're going to bring your groceries in as fast as an hour. You think about that. Uh, I don't feel like going to the store. Click, 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 click. Within an hour, potentially, those groceries are on your front porch. It's phenomenal. Save your time. Save your effort. Click on the show notes, first order free, over $35 if you do so. Major League Baseball, the playoffs begin today. The AL playoffs today, NL playoffs begin tomorrow. This is a best of three. And if you think about that, this makes it tough. If you lose today, today the Yankees go against the Tribe. Shane Bieber, who is just Unreal this year. He's a Cy Young Award winner in the American League. Going against Garrett Cole and sign me up for that. I love pitching. I love guys who dominate. I expect these two guys to go out and give seven innings each, turn it over to the bullpen. But if the Yankees lose this game, they might be done. And it's that difficult. And and there's pressure. Knowing it's a short window, you're a team like the Yankees with expectations – This is hard. Some great matchups. And, you know, I'll stick to the Yankees for a minute. If they're going to win, either Aaron Judge or Giancarlo Stanton have to step up. One of those two guys has to start hitting home runs. If they're going to go deep, yes, I know that they've got some pitching, especially Cole. The bullpen is set up, rested. Britain's healthy. Chapman's healthy. You get Green and Adovino. Give me six innings from a starter. I should be able to get you a win. But there's got to be some offense besides Luke Voigt and DJ LeMahieu. You've got to be able to get some help somewhere. Where does that come from? Well, there's guys that are capable. Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, both capable. Both guys who have struggled the second half of this year because of injury. One of them, or both of them, need to step forward and the Yankees are done early. Tampa and Toronto is a great first-round matchup. Watching Toronto play in Buffalo and and, and seeing the feel-good story that that was, this is a team that's going to score runs. Watching the Rays play is like watching a how-to video. They seem to do everything right. They play great defense, especially Kiermaier in center field. He's as good as there is in the game. They move runners around 
the, the diamond by hitting behind them. They bunt when they have to. They, they do everything well. And I think that in this short series, I think that Tampa comes out on top there. Twins at Houston, the Twins offensively are juggernaut. Houston's pitching hasn't quite, because of injuries, been the same. No Verlander, obviously no Cole. He's now with the Yankees. It's a different Astros team and very well maybe the end of an era with Houston. And the last AL series is the A's and White Sox. And, you know, the A's are always a tough team, haven't had the postseason success for the Sox. You got a kid for Pittsburgh, Danny Mendick. Sign me up for that kid. Love when our local boys do good. Danny Mendick's doing a great job. Just had a birthday the other day. I'd love to see the Sox advance because I love to see our local kids doing great things. The National League, which begins tomorrow, Dodgers and Brewers. Brewers bullpen, very good. Dodgers are the best team in baseball. Should be the Dodgers, but we know about postseason Kershaw. Is he going to finally get over the hump? I don't know that he will. The Padres, who were everybody's darling early on, go against the Cardinals. This should be a Padres win, but they've had injuries with the starting pitchers now. The Cardinals are healthy. I think the Cardinals are the team that comes out there as much as I hope it's the Padres. Cubs-Marlins, the Marlins, Donnie Baseball has become Donnie Manager because what a job he did, what a job the Marlins organization did to get to this point. I don't have anything against the Cubs, but I'd love to see the Marlins advance there just because the story is great. bunch of young kids who don't know they're not supposed to be good I think it's fantastic for baseball. And then the last one, and I think whoever wins this series plays the Dodgers for the NL championship, and that's the Reds and Braves. The Braves have just been great. Now, they're dinged up with their starting pitching, but you look at Freddie Freeman, Marcelo Zuna, Ronald Acuna Jr., they've got as much offensive firepower as any team in the league. But the Reds counter with Trevor Bauer is going to win the Cy Young in the National League. Luis Castillo, and, of course, former Yankee Sonny Gray. And that's really strong. In a three-game series, to have those three guys be able to go, I don't know that another team in baseball is able to match that. So I think whoever comes out of that series plays the Dodgers for the right to go to the NL. The NL leaders, Juan Soto, won a batting title. Now, do these count? Before I talk about this, does this matter? 60 games, to me, it doesn't. If you won the batting title this year, eh. The ones that count are, to me, the Cy Young and the MVP. Home run race doesn't count. RBIs doesn't count. But if you want to say who's the best player, to me, in the National League, you've got two guys who are on the same team to choose from, either Freddie Freeman or Marcelo Zuna. Those two guys were head and shoulders above everybody else, in my opinion, offensively, and I think they're the MVP. The National League, I mentioned Trevor Bauer of the Reds, certainly is the Cy Young Award winner, had an unbelievable year. In the American League, Cy Young goes to Shane Bieber. His year was unreal. He led the league in all three pitching categories that are meaningful ERA wins and strikeouts. The question about the AL MVP is interesting. And Jose Abreu would be my vote from the White Sox. 60 RBIs. Had a really, really strong year, 19 home runs, 
in those 60 games. It, 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 when you look at that, that's pretty strong. So I would go that way with it. So going to be fun to watch the baseball playoffs. If you're a baseball fan, tomorrow's like March Madness for you because there are eight games tomorrow. It's great that there's four games today, but eight games tomorrow is unreal. College football was back on Saturday, and let me just say it was pretty cool. The SEC opened their conference play. Well, league play is all they're doing, so they opened their season, I guess a better way of saying it. Watching Mississippi State go into LSU and give up like 550 yards passing to Mike Leach's offense, that was crazy. Watching an SEC football team give up that many yards through the air was insane. Mississippi State beats LSU. It's just one of those games that you look at and, all right, we could say opening day, you're not ready to play. But, man, I think what Mike Leach will do in the SEC with SEC athletes, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem for other coordinators. The Syracuse football program opened the stadium. You know, the Dome, Carrier Dome, God bless it, played there, loved going to games there, been there a bunch of times. It's different now. No longer is the Dome inflated. It's a hard roof now. So it's a different stadium. And Saturday was the opener. And while all the excitement about opening the new stadium there's no fans, so that's weird. And then there was a half-hour delay of kickoff because of a false positive uh, COVID test on one of the players. Now, they didn't say which player and didn't say what happened. But it's is there anything more 2020 than that? You spend years planning, renovating, getting it all done in one, one offseason. You think of the task that goes into that. You get it done on time. You're ready to go. No fans can enjoy it. And, and even those who are able to watch on TV because there was no local TV, those fans had to wait for a delay because of a COVID test. Just very, very strange. Good games this weekend. Texas A&M plays at Alabama. Auburn and Georgia, another real good game. And then Virginia goes to number one Clemson. So no fans. I shouldn't say no fans. Some fans – much different game day approach, much different atmosphere, but to play on the field is still really good. And if you're a college football fan, at least you have that going for you. The NBA is down to its final two. It'll be the Heat and the Lakers for the NBA championship. And when you talk about the NBA, you look at the Lakers, and of course it's LeBron and Anthony Davis. You look at the Heat and you start thinking – yeah, Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, really? Tyler Hero, I'm going to believe in this kid from Kentucky. Then, of course, Duncan Robinson, who's a D3 kid, went to Michigan. Really? I'm going to believe in these guys? Man, if you watch this Heat team play, they pull out some 2-3 zone that Jim Beheim would be proud of. Goran Dragic runs the point, and don't leave him open because he'll knock three down. They've got worker bead guys like Jay Crowder and Bam Adebayo. It's a great group. And one of the biggest factors of this group, 
to me, is Eric Spolstra. This is his now fifth trip trip to the finals. He's got two rings previously. He won them with LeBron, who he's obviously going against now. But you look at Spolstra, who took over when Pat Riley decided to go upstairs. And people kind of figured Spolstra's a puppet. He's Riley's puppet. That's why he got the job. Here we are years later. He's now had 12 seasons with the Heat. He's got a 591 winning percentage as the coach of the Heat. I mentioned the two rings and the five trips to the finals. This guy's a Hall of Famer. He is a great coach. He doesn't get the credit he deserves. He doesn't in any way show up his team. You know, Riley, when he was on the sideline, it was all about Pat Riley. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just the hair was slicked back, smooth, tough, ran when he was with the Lakers, played defense when he was with the Knicks, found a combination of the two when he was down in Miami because he had Shaq. It's just interesting how a guy like Riley, who changed the way he coached based on his personnel, it's crazy to look at this. So very interesting for the NBA and, and the way this team was built. Tyler Hero was a 13th pick last year. Two years ago, Bam Adebayo was a 14th pick. Everyone seems to look at this as, you know, here we go. So the question to me, the matchup of Bam Adebayo and Anthony Davis, who wins that matchup, wins this series? Because if Adebayo can slow down Davis, I think that the Heat have a legitimate shot to move on. So that's all the good stuff. Now we got some quick hits. And the first quick hit is something that just came across. The Tennessee Titans apparently have eight positive COVID tests. So I'm guessing the Titans will not play this week. Now it's Tuesday. Going forward, it gives the league time to adjust. But they just played a team last week, and that team is certainly going to be a team that's going to, I think, be shut down as well. So I would guess for this coming week, we're going to miss four teams playing this week. The Titans, who got a nice win over the Vikings, so that's this week. The Vikings, I I assume, have to be shut down, I would think. The Titans have to be shut down. So you start to look at those things and how the trickle effect goes forward. It'll be interesting to see what the NFL does, how they handle all of these things, because this is, again, just happening, just coming across. I can't think they're going to forge ahead this week with that being the case. So going to have a lot to chew on going forward. The Titans, who are 3-0 and right now, they're scheduled to play the Steelers this coming weekend. The Vikings, the team they played last week, they are scheduled to play the Seahawks. So that means that the C- – I'm sorry, the Texans this week. So that means the Texans, Vikings, Steelers, and – wow, it's going to be strange to see how they handle this. And, again, 
your fantasy football team. There's four teams that have a bye unexpectedly. Hopefully you don't have Derrick Henry going in your lineup. So something to keep an eye on there. One quick thing about baseball. The season's over. You're starting to see teams lay people off. There's going to be coaching changes. I would expect Alex Gore to be back in charge of the Red Sox coming soon. But what I'm wondering is, you look at the Bisons gave up their stadium to the Blue Jays. They did a lot of work to make that Major League Baseball friendly. The Jays will be back in Canada next year. I'm confident of that. If not, they'll have more time to decide, and I doubt they play in Buffalo again. My question is this. Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse. We love AAA baseball. Will there be a season next year? Will teams put forth the money? Let's face it. Minor league baseball is a losing dollars proposition. Will teams put forth the effort to have a season after knowing this year that they were able to have a season at the major league level and a secondary group at the minor league level And they didn't really lose all that much. You may lose some evaluation time, but you're keeping players healthy. You're not traveling. You're saving money. I wonder if the minor league schedules ever come back anywhere close to what they were a year ago. High school sports in our area began recently this week, and I'm hopeful that they all get to play. I'm hopeful they all get to have a season. But once there's an outbreak, I'm – fearful that the first thing to get shut down is the high school sports scene. The Bills are trying to get some fans to be allowed to go to the game against the Chiefs in a couple weeks. They're looking to get 7,000 fans in. I, I think any fans would be great. I don't know how they regulate that, how they allow, who they allow in, but if the state decides to allow it, I think it would be a great thing for Buffalo and the Bills, even though it's a very small thing. Last night, the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup final. Last year, they had a first-round exit in the playoffs, very disappointing after having the most points in the Eastern Conference during the season. They go out, lose to an eighth seed, and this year they get the win. And I thought it was great. Steven Stamkos, been out with injury, comes back, doesn't even play a whole game, but he's still got a goal. So he contributed, of course, got the cup from Batman. And, you know, props to Gary Batman. The bubble worked. The bubble has worked in basketball. Baseball had to struggle through. The bubble worked in hockey. But they were also able to get a labor deal done during that. So, seriously, a lot of props to Gary Batman, a guy who I'm not a fan of whatsoever. The draft is next week for hockey. The Sabres have the eighth draft, eighth draft pick. One other Sabre note, and I think it's a biggie, more rumors about Jack Eichel trade, potentially. This would be a disastrous move for the Sabres, and the final nail in the coffin, in my opinion, for the Pagulas as owners of this franchise. There's one reason right now to watch the Sabres, and his name is Jack Eichel. If they were to trade him, it would be viewed as a cost-saving move, one that surely won't get enough back to reinvigorate the franchise. And I think the fans in mass would stop supporting the team. Don't do it. Terry and Kim do not let Kevin Adams trade Jack Eichel. And if Eichel wants to be traded, 
sorry, dude, you're under contract, stay here, play your best hockey, we'll eventually get it right. It's the only way you can approach it from an ownership standpoint. So we'll be back on Friday. Obviously, we'll have much more on the Titans situation, talk much more about all the football coming up this weekend, recap some of the Major League Baseball. Looking forward to a second show. And don't forget, click the show notes, Instacart, first delivery free for over $35, and your groceries delivered to your house in as fast as one hour. So make sure you check that out. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. 